This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. What? So, okay, first of all, I don't have any reason to believe that he knew quantum mechanics. Um, I, I, I don't know why one would need to think so. Let, let's speak about, in, in, there's a fascinating, the, the, um, the Balatanya wrote right somewhere. I, I, I know I saw it for sure because it, it was something that struck me very strongly. I've been looking for it. I haven't found it. It's, it's one of the more random sfarims. It's, it's, it's either Mamarim Ktsarim or I think it's Colossus that he wrote, where he deals with a question. We, we talk about the Greeks and the Yvonim being smart and the epitome of Chachma, Vachulu, Vachulu, Vachulu. We definitely, even his days, he said we have steamboats. I don't know if he had trains yet in his days. Steamboats, maybe telegraphs. He had, they had much more things. We are by far technologically more advanced than the Greeks. So why is this, this talk about that, that was the question he's dealing with. And he answers, Chachma has two directions. One is, what can I do with the things I know? And one is, what is the cause and the root of what I know? It's like the difference between theoretical physics and applied physics. He said, technology is not Chachma. You know, when the Torah speaks of Chachma, the ultimate Chachma is Eitz Hadas Tovera. The ultimate wisdom is what is the right and what is the wrong. Technology, in, the, in, in a Torah perspective, is next. So there is a broad sweep where, like we said before, the Tov and the Ra and the basics will feed into the world. There's a reason why our bodies are built with a symmetry of right-left. It reflects, there's a reason why I have five fingers and five fingers. All of those things sort of flow out of a certain shorish of Chachma. So, a, the Shlomo Amalas Chachma did seem to be focused more on practical things, the way it's described. But again, the old the Chachma that the Torah respects, the, the, the word Chachma in the Torah is identical with a good person, which certainly would not be true of technology. The Yevanim looked, it's it's interesting, in the early times, philosophy and science were one discipline. And again, it's very sweeping what I'm saying, but the idea was that everything in the world has a conceptual reason for being what it is. Um, Things that are circular is because circles are perfect figures and so on. Some of the stuff, or much of the stuff, is, hasn't proven itself, and we found out that ellipses are a lot more perfect than circles for certain things, and and they work better because, for whatever reason, um, you know, it, it, it it's got the advantage over a circle in terms of 
how much area it sweeps, and so on. Not, 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 not okay. But the idea, it, it, they, they searched for the ideas, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the thing that they most, the thing that people instinctively felt was wisdom in it is the good and the bad, the right and the wrong. And that's, so Chachmas HaTorah deals primarily with that. It may or may not be, and, and that's why when people, it, it says, you know, So there's Torah Lishma, and then there's Zohar Levarm Harbe. The Torah is primarily focused on the good and the bad, right and wrong. If, could somebody see in that how it manifests itself, Lamaisa? I, I, yes, I, our belief is it will be like that, but it doesn't, there's no axiom to say that either Moshe or Shlomo knew that or had access to it. it it's really kind of less than important for us. Yeah, sorry. Introduce yourself. My name is Ami Malik from New Jersey. Okay. Um, so, on one level, the answer is no. <laughs> That's but w- for better or for worse, um, Hasidus and those who, in turn, took from that, brought out ideas, terminology, and so on into the world. So, Hasid, you know, one of the things that Hasidim did that was looked upon kind of with a, with a joint eye, um, you know, telling these people things that are coming from the world of Kabbalah, what is it all about? There's an answer, a classic answer g- given by different people in the world of Hasidus, in the old world. It's in the old days, they used to think that diamonds and precious stones have tremendous medicinal value that if you grind down a very expensive diamond they, and you mix it and you drink it, you become cured. Today we know we can make medications that are more expensive than diamonds. You don't have to grind the diamond down. You, you, you just, uh, you know, they'll charge you, uh, you know, pound for carrot for carrot, they'll charge you the same or more. But that was was thought. So they said when the king's son is deathly ill, he will even grind down the, 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 the stone from his crown to heal him. So they said it was felt that Kaliosrol was, there was a malaise, Kaliosrol was really, really not well. They needed to be inspired. And even if you're doing something that's not the Chathila, um, let's do it. So they inspired people. Uh, and, and some of it has great inspirational effect. But let me just explain. So the ideas and terminology that have become part of our understanding um, can, can um, that's, that's our world today. Hasidus came, it changed something. People like Ruf Cook stayed away from using the Kabbalah terms. He had his own terminology. More current, Rev Hutner, who in the yeshiva world brought in many of those ideas. Also, he would never mention a Zohar or an Arizal in his public speaking, but in his private speaking. Rev Moshe Shapiro's who was my personal Rebbe, I, I'd heard Rev Hutner 
Many times he was the one who inspired me to look into these things. Ramayusha would speak more open, but by Ramayusha there was no such thing as terminology for the sake of terminology. The two dangers with Kabbalah, two problems, two or three problems are, one, that you learn how to say words that don't mean anything to you. Um, somebody was telling me with Vespailus once, he was sitting in a sukkah in Batyongarin, and he heard a father explain to a kid that sukkah's p'china Yaakov was p'china Teferis. And the kid said, what is that? The father said, we don't know what it is, but that's what it is. It's like saying, I've solved for x, x equals y. And what's y? It equals z. That's not terribly helpful, and the problem is you gain, you, you, you get into the mood of thinking that you, you do know something when you're just repeating words and words. That's one. That is sort of my father's Hajjvach. My father was Rabbeinish Finkel, was the Mira Shiva. And he did learn Kabbalah, but no one knew about it. And not even the children, you know, not even the son he didn't have any sons. He, he didn't talk about it and wouldn't talk about it. And that was it. He had a Zohar hidden someplace with some Sfarim. I never saw him looking at it. I do know there was somebody he learned with. That's about, that's the extent of my knowledge. But we're sitting at a table, and my father-in-law was, he was extremely conversational and pleasant. You could talk a lot, but whatever you didn't want to talk about, you couldn't talk to him about it. it the conversation never went there. He was amazing. He was an amazing person in, in his... So we had a guest at the Shabbos, there was a guest Shabbos table, and he asked, how could Yaakov do the trick with Lovin? Isn't it, in effect, stealing sheep from him? So my father asked him, what would you like to say? What's your terrors? So the person smirked, and he was, he was trying to get, I guess, my father going. He heard that I'll be the Nishamis of Klal Yisrael were in those sheep. This, this, it, it does say that. Says. So my father looks at him, poker face, and says, so how is he allowed to steal the sheep from Lovin? <laughs> like, what are you mixing? I mean, if you ask the Shaila and Hilchus Gizela, Nishamis and Gilgulim and all that stuff is not an answer. You, 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 that's not an answer. You can't do that. That's, so one danger is you learn to say things. I mean, I think. A second danger in it is you know, there's a certain shalna lecha malrek lecha. There needs to be a certain reverence when a person talks about things that are, you know, shayach to the pnim, and to, to, to do it sort of with the two feet on a table, so to speak, with socks or without socks, and just blast off uh, this sphere or that sphere, the other thing. There's something extraordinarily grating about it. Even Baba Basra is grating to do that. Uh, I, I know that um, Rev Reingold, who's the other Rebbe, was in Shivi Linton, tells, and Rev Gifta walked in once and he saw somebody learning Kigueiga and he had a Coca Cola bottle next to it. And he went ballistic. With a Coca-Cola bottle, you know, there's a certain sense of, of reverence. It, it's, you know, it, this requires. I'm talking about things that are very adin, very refined. It requires a certain sense of kedusha, and that's it's important because if you don't have that, it takes away from it. You learn to be arrogant, haughty, and you lack in kedusha. Instead of adding kedusha, it takes away from it. You you make it too. It's it's like living with a window facing the koisel. So yes. Um, if you're if you're Madrega, where you can keep looking at the Kaidish, that's extraordinary. But if you're a regular day Joe, that's that's taking away, not adding. Third of all, one of the the main reasons I think why they why they why there was such a barrier against teaching common folk Kabbalah um, was because Kabbalah uses very graphic physical terms. It, 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 when you say HaKadosh Baruch did this because he had to express this midah, the way you're saying those words are borderline kfira. 
Kashparuch did not have to do anything. It, 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 what's the difference if you say Kashparuch did it because he was in a bad mood, or Kashparuch did it because he had to get Netzach and hold out of the way? You, 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 when, you, when you're talking about things like that, and you don't have the sense of we don't talk about a Kaddish Baruch we're only talking about a certain interface. Those are areas, those are reasons why, why there was tremendous reluctance to, 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 to make it public. So um, I guess Hashkacha has it that it's become, terms have come in and they have inspired us. And yes, you know, people, again, from my Bay and people sitting by Rafutna's Mamarim um, was extraordinarily uplifting. Ramayish's Torah was very inspiring and uplifting. But the caution remains for the re- for the reasons I told you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I you know yes it was as Yar said last week and I you may have never heard. Um, like I said it's hard to know where to start from because he was an incredible person he was born in Tel Aviv his father learned in Slabotka Hevron by the Alta he grew up Panovich um, then learned in Hevron for two or three years and and then we got married learned in Yeshiva for a few years he was he used to speak to Briskarov in learning so his, he was extraordinarily rooted in the yeshiva world in terms, I don't mean just mean yeshiva world I mean in terms of his, his basic mindset and understanding of where we start from was Baba Kama you know, like that's, the, the, that's, where, his, that's where he started from this with somewhere along the way he got exposed to something else and he got exposed through his relative, Rev Dessler. He t- this he told me himself. Um, Rev Dessler, Rev Dessler lost his wife in 1951. They needed somebody to be with him. He was distantly related. He was the young. He was 15 years old at the time, and he slept with him for two years. And Rev Dessler opened up a whole new world of Amkus in this chelik of Torah. We'll call it Agarata just because I have no other way to describe it. Rav Deslov was very broad. He looked at all the Chassidish Sfarim, all the Kabbalah Sfarim, everything. He told me that Rav Deslov had three layers of Sfarim in his house, ranging from those that you can display outside to those that, that you have to keep deep inside. Um, and Rav Deslov himself went back and forth. He would, there were times when he quoted other Sfarim, and there were times when he stopped quoting it. And, and I think he, for the reasons we mentioned. Um, so Reb Dessler really gave him an opening that. He also told me that he had, there was a chassidish shtibel near where he lived. The people there had a lot of depth to themselves. He said they were the old time chassidim that him in those days. And he, and he got a lot out of that. Somewhere along the line, he learned, so he, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He, he, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of something, just what his memory was like. When his mother was nipped a few years ago, he, he couldn't make a mincha in a shul. There was a Sephardi shul near him. He stopped in and he asked if he could for the Ahmed. No problem. He just asked that Shem Hashem should say with the regular word. They didn't care. He asked them, would you want to have 
a um, which Baruch Haleinu, they have two brachas for, 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 for Baruch Haleinu, for, I, I don't even remember how it starts, I, I don't, they told him whichever one, he davened it all about peh, you know, without a sitter, for the omit. Um, somebody just told me now, it was at somebody's wedding, a Sephardi boy in, yesh- in yeshiva, and the lights went out, Rebbe Pavaskis was in he turned to Moshe and said, I can't read the Ksuba, can you do it? He said, fine. He read the whole Ksuba Baal Peh. He is an amazing memory, brilliant, very sharp. Um, so he got exposed, he opened up his world to Kabbalah. He was also an avid reader and he read a lot of other things, not on the usual yeshiva menu. Um, read philosophy and other things. He, he, even science, people say he knew a lot of science. I once sat with him and explained to him how a computer worked. He was a lot more interested in drawing the principles out than the technical details. That was his mindset. That's how he worked. Um, he had an extraordinary command of language and a beautiful way of speaking. What was incredible about his, about his teaching was um, he, it was the structure was extremely seicheldic. In other words, things were laid out in a seder of seichel, but there was a deep regish coming from it. And it's very few people have that. Your late Rosh Hashiva Rabaran had that. He was, he was somebody who, you know, he, he wasn't a dry academic when he spoke. He, he, there was, you know, the difference between an academic who's fixing, in a sense, he's tinkering with plumbing versus somebody who's a soul on fire expressing it through something. Reb Moshe, when he finished the Shmuz, besides, besides the way he opened up an idea and expressed it in a way that he understood it, and besides his command of all pieces, and he could go on, um, it was inspiring because he himself had tremendous regish to it. It was a very, it's, it's, it's hard to explain to somebody else. His breath and ability to understand so many things and so many people. Let me me tell you something that three weeks ago inspired me about him. um, He would sit with, he had about 40 shi'urim a week that he gave in everything ranging from Taharis to Hulin, which they learned the Kolo, to tons of different areas in the world of Agada. I'd like that better than Machshava. And he also had a Chabura, not one, but a few, but one main Chabura, one small Chabura that they learned the deepest parts of Kabbalah, of Kisar Rizal, was Thursday nights, like from 11 to 2.30 in the morning. That was the, the title. Fine, that's Reb Moshe. In his last years, one of the things he was very involved with was something called Masorat UD. It was an organization. There are about a million Israeli Yardim o- world over. About the, the most, the vast majority in America, any place there's a shopping mall, unfortunately, you'll find a galot. They, they, they're in Los Angeles. They are in Florida, South Florida, Myrtle Beach, Rockville, where we live, close to where we live, and so on. They're about a 90% assimilation rate, Rachman al-Islam. And Reb Moshe sunk himself into helping people create some framework for it. There was a fellow who's very active in it, um, Yoni Grilak who um, they created an organization. So one of the things they do is they have a school that gives, it's a Jewish school for these kids, but treads very lightly. In other words, there's a lot of from inspiration, but the student body is almost 
from not observant homes, probably Masorati mostly, but even very secular. And Ramesha was invested in it on his deathbed. He asked me, he wanted somebody in America that he could go with. He wanted to go to Los Angeles. He, he very much wanted to energize the American community to care, to give a damn about their Israeli brothers who are there melting away. And so three weeks before I was, I was in Florida for Shabbos in North Miami Beach to see the Bet Sefer. So, you know, next to me is Yaniv from Bet Shan, who's been living, you know, he's only there 10 years, but, you know, any day he's going to go back to Israel. It's a very typical line. That's, that's the stack answer. I could, I could, in Derek Nevu, I can tell you that's what everyone answers. That, that's it. You, uh, 200 kids doing Kabbalat Shabbat, um, and the parents are energized. And, and things, and he said, literally on his deathbed, he said, I am going there. I need to push it. And his, his wife said, you can't go. Baruch, you know, I mean, she won. She said no, and he didn't go. He was dying, literally. Um, I want to get a, a story to it, because I, I think it, 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 the person who runs it there is somebody called Cornfield. He's an American, Israeli. His parents are Americans who, who basically, I think he was born here. You know, you grew up an American, Israeli in Ramot. Tremendous about Kochot. And when they, eight years ago, when they tried to convince him to go, they brought him to Mosh Shapiro. Mosh Shapiro sat a long time and spoke with him. And then he got up to go out. Mosh went ahead and faced him. And he had tears in his eyes. Mosh was a very rational, not an emotional person. He had tears streaming down. And he said, Yehuda, kol yom yotzera kevet la Auschwitz, male yeladim yudiyim. So, Kisvi Arizal, Thursday night, for two and a half hours, the Oymek Sheba Oymek, something that's if, of those layers that we spoke about, the extract layers, and timeless. What do you mean, you know, Kisvi Arizal, when you're there, you need to do something there. He went, he was in Russia, he used to go almost every Yantif. They asked him why, he said, they, they, he was very involved in the yeshiva there, in France, in South America. He had an ability, he, he could communicate very effectively, both culturally and his language, very precise, very pleasant. That was the person. Um, and much more, I, I was Zohar, I started going to Shurim in 1980, and you know, once I went to America, on and off, I would, you know, if I had something very important, I would make it, you know, I would, bother him about it. Um, that was, I'll, I'll say my leg on, on the tip of a, of a tongue, but you know, the, he, 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 so many people in the yeshiva world gained from him, like you spoke about, words, uh, words don't help me any. When somebody just will hack me, this is me, this is a chesed, this is me, this is a din, this is me, this is a net, this is a hoi, this is a I don't gain anything out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm translating X to Y to Z. He explained X in a way that now when I say Y is equal to X, I know what X is and I know what Y is. He had a magnificent way of, of bringing things to light. And, and um, yeah, that's, it's a, I, 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 he didn't have a real official yeshiva, but I think there were more people mushba by him than almost anybody else in the door in terms of shiurim and Torah learning. 40 a week. And that's without counting the people he spoke to and, and, and b'cholo b'cholo. He, he, he most of the week he never he didn't sleep in a bed. He would sort of conk out on his on his table, and, and that was it. Um, it's an incredible person. He was. Uh, I mean, you can get some tapes of his. Uh, they're in Hebrew, most of it. I mean, um, you can probably get to, just to hear 
you know, the way he expressed, the way he explained, the way he understood, it's, it's things that were public that are available, he was a little bit more meirich. He would re-explain and explain again. He was always wary that people are going to latch onto terminology, and so he tried to re-explain it. So it's a bit lengthy. A share can be an hour and 15 minutes also. But, but uh, at least to hear the way he gave over things was, was incredible. Anything else? Just a little bit short time. I had another question? or, or Yes. What's your name? What? Saltinek. I don't know. Sometimes it's very difficult to see like, the inherent unity of Machshava, given how diverse and large it is. Something like what, what's a good depth for seeing how unified Machshava is, and also realizing the nuances in it. That's a very insightful question. I must say, I'm, it's it's uh, it's a good point. Um, I guess, in, like in any discipline, when you start with pieces, with the pieces, it's harder to see the bigger picture. That's just the nature of it. Um, w as you get more pieces clicking into place, you begin to see a bigger picture. It's true also, when you look at different different sperm, very different vocabulary, very different language, and at first it's really hard to see um, that there's a common point. With time, especially if, if, if you're astute enough where you look at something and you try to put it into your words and your understanding, you try to understand the nuance of, of that expression. It, at some point, I think you begin to see where these are two ways of expressing the same idea. There's, there's no, I don't think there's a shortcut to it. Um, you need to be first familiar with each. And, and you know, going back to like Ramesh Shapiro, Ramesh Shapiro could say things in different languages. And um, th that was one of the things that was incredible. He, that's why he was able to effectively communicate with people from many different worlds because he could understand how the idea <coughs> expresses itself in a different culture, in a different world. So, so it takes a learning a lot, it takes mulling over and thinking about it and trying to get a picture of things. I think that's helpful. But, but the question itself, as posed, it says that a sheilas chacham is a chatzit tshuva, the fact that you, you're sensitive to that is, is meaningful. Okay, it's been very nice spending time here, and the batzlacha, everybody.